0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. With your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlatni. And now, Radio Joe Hughes.
1: Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. It's episode number 546, and this week we welcome Ed Cross, the restoration lawyer, and RIA First Vice President, Mark Springer. We're going to talk about the recent announcement of the strategic partnership between RIA and the IICRC. This is the first in a series of shows we're going to do on that topic. Before we get started, though, we want to thank our platinum sponsor. IAQ Radio
2: Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's
1: J-O-N-D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And, of course, our association sponsors, siri the cleaning industry research institute the indoor air quality association and the restoration industry association
0: and now you can win a cool prize it's time for the iaq radio trivia question be the first to correctly answer Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question. Hello, everyone. Congratulations to Michael Miles, Service Master Restore of Newark, Delaware, who was first to identify Paul Brown as the former Ohio State football coach who also went on to coach two NFL teams. The IEQ radio trivia question for today, Friday, May 17, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's trivia question. On what date did the Association of Specialists in Cleaning and Restoration officially change their name the Restoration Industry Association.
1: Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Today's guests are Ed Cross and Mark Springer. Ed is the restoration lawyer. He's the president of the law offices of Edward Cross and Associates in Palm Desert, California. He's represented over 100 restoration contractors in over 20 states in collection disputes, standard of care issues, and mold claims and he's also successfully resolved over 4,000 cases. He creates documentation systems for restoration companies and has written hundreds of restoration contracts. He is also the industry's only online legal store with standardized restoration contract packages, paper flow systems, and the e-book entitled Get Paid, How Contractors Get the Money They Earn. Ed also chairs the RIA's new Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee, Executing a plan spearheaded by the RIA's Mark Springer to unify the restoration industry so they can speak with one voice. Our other guest is Mark Springer. He's the RIA first vice president and was one of the driving forces behind the agreement between the IICRC and RIA. Mark is living the dream in Montana where he's able to pursue things he loves like skiing, uh, hunting, and competitive shooting and the mountains in general. It's not all hobbies, though. He's also the president of Dayspring Restoration, a company that specializes in disaster restoration. Dayspring has six locations and about 100 team members. Mark has become a mini-celebrity in Montana due to his television advertising campaign, where he flooded and burned his own home, I believe. Uh, and uh, that demonstrated to the community the restoration process. These videos can be viewed at. Calldayspring.com. Calldayspring.com. All right, gentlemen, we've got you on the line. Let's start with uh, Mr. Springer, Mark. I hear you were the the man behind the scenes doing this, and, and you kept it real quiet. And now we've got this excellent uh, agreement between RIA and IICRC. Let's let's start with a little on the little one, the RIA. Um, RIA's been around for a long time. How old is RIA?
3: Well, I think the uh, official uh, kind of age of RI is about 73 years old. I know I'm always uh, reticent to offer too many specifics when I have someone like Mr. Consigli here on the phone who can <laughs> jump in and correct me at any point. But um, I know we're two years away from having our 75th anniversary. So I, I, I suppose that puts us at about 73 years. And of course, there's been a Number of different iterations and brands that have been used in the marketplace for it, but uh, but RA is definitely a, a long standing organization. Uh, Joe, I also just want to say thanks for having us today. I, uh, it is a, a great opportunity for us to talk about a lot of this, and I apologize to your viewers that, uh, in Montana here where we uh, technology is in our strong suit, uh, you, you don't have a live video here, so you know, I think. Supposedly, we're going to get the internet here in a couple weeks, Uh, so it should be really fun once that happens.
1: Uh, Good luck with that. Uh, The rural broadband is coming your way, slowly but surely. (laughs) Uh, Mark, you know, RIA, I I don't know how how, uh, familiar many of the listeners are with RIA. How big is the organization? How many members does RIA have?
3: Yeah, so RIA has about, you know, we, we range between 800 and 1,200 members, at least in the time that I've been uh, involved heavily with the association. Uh, right now, we're something a little north of 1,000. It kind of depends on when people's renewals are in the cycle uh, as to what we have, but g- generally we're we're pretty close to 1,200 uh, if we average it out over kind of any given year, Um you know, of of that kind of constituency, mo- most of our members are, are independent contractors. We do have franchise members uh, as well, uh, but but most of them are, are are independent contractors. And you know, I uh, certainly, I, I it's our hope, and we we expect that uh, as we unify the industry, which is something we'll hopefully get a lot of opportunity to talk about through this call. Uh, we'll see see a lot more than 1,000 because we know there's a lot more than 1,000 contractors out there right now who need to have their voices heard.
1: Well, you know, I I wanted to get a little background first so that we could go into your group, the RIA, and then we'll have a later show with the IICRC. But I want to talk a little bit about the groups so that we can better understand what you bring to the table with this agreement. So let's start with the, the core competencies. What What does RIA do well? What are their core competencies?
3: Yeah, so RIA is a trade association, and uh, it does uh, very well. Uh, A lot of the things that trade associations uh, typically do. Uh, RIA is really known in the industry, and, and going back, as you look at its legacy, it's really led the way in a lot of the advanced training and the advanced designations that exist in the industry. Um, some of those things would be, of course, the, the CR program. Uh, the CR program is viewed by many as the, as, as a sort of PhD in the restoration industry. And, uh, and, and over the past five or six years, uh, RA has developed uh, some of the what we call the the pillar designations that build up to that, which all are are advanced. We're we're endeavoring with our membership to advance really the science of restoration and the the really core competencies that each individual company needs to possess. And so, to that end, last uh, fall we launched the the CLS program, which fits the model that uh, some of the some of the guys here on this show, like Pete and Cliff, were. We're sort of the architects of in the water loss specialist program and currently we're in development of the fire loss specialist program and and then next year we'll begin the development of the environmental restoration specialist program so those advanced designations definitely are are part of the core competencies uh in addition to that uh the ria hosts a uh, a number of events that allow our members to come together and be able to uh, collaborate and in, in network around best practices, and and those uh, sort of events typically we'll have a fall event that's a highly technical event. Those events have been very very well supported and participated in here in in the industry, and of course the the spring conference that we have the annual convention. We just came off that one in Phoenix and. Uh, you know, the group that put that together, our, uh, the, the guy that was the chair of that program, Josh Miller, is, is heavily involved in, in RIA and they did an amazing job kind of in what, what is one of our core competencies and that's hosting a convention where we're able to bring the industry up to speed with where things are at and be able to continue to have breakout sessions that, that help our members. And, uh, this year was an excellent example of, of the continued buzz that I continue to get from people who attended and said, man, this is, this is the event that you want to attend. You don't have to attend this event. A lot of these events have like mandatory participation or mandatory attendance. Uh, RAs isn't. Uh, it's the one that people want to go to. Uh, because the, the content is so excellent. So, you know, th- those would be really two of the main things that are kind of central to our current competencies. Um, and, 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 of course, there's other things that associations do, but those, those would be the ones that I would identify as really the core competencies. So you,
1: you mentioned four, I think it was four pillars, CLS, that's the Contents Loss
3: Yep, Spec- CLS, Contents Loss Specialist, is, is the one that came on last fall.
1: Okay, and and you've got the water law specialist, of course, and then the fire side, and, and you, you're developing the environmental side a little bit more, too, as I understand it.
3: Right, so the environmental one will be, you know, much more comprehensive to the sort of environmental hazards that a restoring encounters as they deal with property restoration. So I think some people, when they think of environmental, they in the restoration context, they just think about mold. Uh, this would go much further than that into the, the the sort of other environmental hazards we encounter that, you know, for example, now some of the ones that are, are really emerging are things like fentanyls. We're seeing a lot of problems where uh, restorers are encountering some of those hazards or, or ones that are highly regulated, like asbestos and lead. Interesting.
1: Okay, uh, Cliff, let me turn it over to you for a moment here. This is your baby, uh, RIA, I know has been one of your... Uh, one of your favorite topics for many years. Go ahead. Mark, uh, thanks for joining us. Um,
0: How would you define industry maturity?
3: Well, I mean, I think that anyone that looks at any industry, you know, kind of sees these sort of of trajectory that happens over the course of, of the industry's development, you know, it might start with, you know, an, an industry emerges and, and I would, you know, think that in our industry, we see, you know, back, uh, you know, there, maybe a little before my dad got involved in this industry, there was a lot of people I know, like, you know, Claude Blackburn and yourself and so forth, Marty King, certainly that, that see the industry that really wasn't even recognized as an industry emerge. And, and that leads kind of to this next growth phase that, uh, that has a lot of people enter the industry and, and jump into it. You see some areas where there's, you know, really high margin work that, that ultimately uh, leads to the maturing of an industry where you see uh, a- as the maturity happens, you see margins tighten. You see uh, good operators that are able to uh, deal with those tightening margins through solid management and operational uh, practices thrive, and you see the, the less efficient uh, operators start to get driven out as, as the industry matures. And I, I think you know the last step that that people see as they look at at uh, various industries is is sort of an inevitable decline. And I think these things happen over in every different industry over different periods of time, uh, and certainly some of those things probably overlap, but. Uh, I think there's there's probably no question that over over especially the last decade we've seen a lot of those kind of maturing factors uh, come to bear on our industry and in our space. You know, before we go
1: on, I, I would like to bring the restoration lawyer in here to say a few words, uh, Ed. First thing I wanted to – I wonder if you would might, might add from your perspective, um, you know, as an attorney that does work with restoration contractors, why are you so involved with RIA? What are the RIA strengths in your mind that, that keep you so involved with that organization?
4: Yeah. Well, the RIA is the oldest and largest association in the industry, and it's got so many fantastic people involved and such uh, wide coverage all over the country, and for that matter, uh, internationally. And I've been attending the events now for more than two decades. And, you know, like any association or group, the RIA has had its ups and downs. Uh, but what I see now is uh, fresh new leadership uh, with new exciting ideas on how to approach things to make a real difference for the restorer, not just recycling the same tired old ideas.
1: And and I know for the second half of the show, Ed, we want to talk a little bit about the, the advocacy program that I know you've been a big part of here. And I think, I don't know that that would be, I know in the past RIA has tried to be an advocate for restoration contractors. I mean, I remember the heat, the whole heat drying thing and all that. Um, and, and I think, that is one of the things you and others would like to see become a bigger core competency or a bigger strength of RIA would that be accurate to say
4: well that's already underway okay that that process is happening now the RIA has taken very big moves to uh, effect real transformative change uh for the industry and it's not just a bunch of uh good old boys getting together at a convention once a year and slapping each other on the back now it's being much more proactive thanks to people like mark springer um, who are coming up with real solution oriented practical ideas for what can happen in the short term as well as the long term to really make things better for the restorer because things are in a real state of decay now i mean i get more complaints about more restorers all the time about how this downward spiral is underway from all these outside uh, forces gradually grinding down all these good contractors.
1: We're going to go into that a little more in more detail in the second half. But before we go there, let's, Mark, let's talk a little more about this unification agreement. Um, You know, I, I don't think this is the first time that um, there's been attempts to unify the industry. RIA and the IICRC have, and at one time, RIA was a uh, shareholder in the IICRC. And uh, I think this is maybe a little bigger than, than just being a shareholder. But tell us a little bit more about the, the agreement and what you see as, as the key parts of the agreement that people, listeners should be aware of.
3: Yeah, so what the agreement does, uh, Joe, is it allows the both organizations to be able to function in the areas that they have strength. I mean, you you asked about, you know, what are RIA's core competencies? Or maybe Cliff, I'm sorry, asked the question about what are our core competencies? And, you know, in in some ways, those may be a, a little bit distinct from what our strengths are. Uh, in some ways, and Ed already alluded to some of these things, I think, you know, RIA right now, one of our strengths is, I'll I'll mention a couple of them, and then that will kind of lead into, you know, what this agreement's all about. But I think one of the things is that uh, RIA has been now over the past four years now, uh, since uh, really the summer of 2015, uh, it's been driven rather than by you know, just the whim of of maybe a person on the board or one person on the, maybe group of people on the board, Uh, it's been driven by a strategic plan that is revised and updated Uh, that keeps us focused on the sort of things that we can make the biggest difference in. And when we developed that, we identified a couple of areas that we knew we really needed to stay focused on. We needed to not get distracted from them. Often associations, this is the challenge is that they they change all the time and they can't stick with anything uh, that really matters. And one of the things that we identified all the way back in May of 2015, and this is really the genesis of a lot of these things, is we identified in the five strategic goals that we had, one is member advocacy. And we specifically identified that we want to proactively identify and act on issues affecting the livelihood of our members. And 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 I really think for RIA, in addition to some of the, you know, maybe more diverse and, and maybe some newer, fresher leadership in there, you know, leadership that's new and fresh that's not focused on a strategic goal might not be a good thing necessarily. Uh, but because we have rooted ourselves in really identifying that we are going to, first of all, identify our constituents as contractors. We want to speak for contractors, not the industry at large. And I think in the past, has had some some maybe pieces or bits of time in its history where, where it kind of tried to speak for everyone. It tried to, you know, bring different constituents together, insurance companies, vendors, all these sort of things. But it really wasn't rooted in that identity of speaking for contractors. And I can okay. say that now that that's where RIA is completely and firmly fixed within that strategic plan. And as we did that, really some of the things that, that led to this this agreement was a couple people from ICRC and a couple people from RIA, really looking at it and saying, okay, there's some things that RIA does really, really well. We we kind of use this term lanes. We talk about what lanes should RIA be in, and then for ICRC, what lanes should ICRC be in? And you know, as we had these discussions, one of the guys that you know we we worked with that maybe you'll get a chance to talk to later was Craig Kersmeyer. Uh, I give a lot of credit to Craig for, uh, throughout this process. He was one of the guys over on ICRC side that, that really recognized, Hey, there, there's some things that ICRC does really well. But on the other side, RIA, they, they really have, they're really in the position to be able to be a great trade, trade organization or trade association. Mm -hmm. And and as we kind of identified those areas and, and really they are for ICRC certification and standards, and then for RIA, it's education, which is very distinct from certification, but education, especially advanced education. And then, you know, these events that we do. And then the next one, which we all, and this is the thing that always drew together both sides. It was this concept that we as an industry now do not have a voice. We don't have contractors speaking for contractors. We have all sorts of external forces speaking for us that don't necessarily have our best interest uh, at their core or, or at their center. And and what we're all able to agree on is that we need restorers to speak for restorers, and RIA is best positioned to be that voice. I mean, there's a lot of people, I think, that are trying to be that voice, but they don't have the maturity right now with just time and, and can maybe financial practices and so forth be able to effectively do that. RIA is the only association that is positioned to be able to do that. So so that's kind of what, what was really the, the beginning or the genesis of the agreement.
1: Well, I'm curious. I know this is, you know, you've had negotiations in the past. There's been discussions about working together. Why were the negotiations more s- successful this time uh, when they hadn't been in the past? What was different? The people, the events, the timing? I mean, what, what led to actually getting an agreement? I've, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how well you actually work together under this agreement, but let's at least, you know, uh, acknowledge you've come a long way. We've got an agreement. Why did it work this time when it hadn't in the past?
3: Uh, well, that, that's a, obviously a complicated question. Um, I think that, you know, the a lot of times, I mean, if you're going to use an, an example from, you know, maybe a military example. I mean, a lot of times it, it, it takes a lot of attempts to, to take a certain beach or something without those first attempts. They never would have maybe been able to take the, the beach or, or take the hill, you know, on the third or fourth try if, if the first ones hadn't hadn't been, been attempted because you learn stuff as you go through that process and you make each attempt. Um, yeah, Mark, that's... I, I mean, some of this – sorry, did you want to say something?
1: I'll just say I like that. that. I think that's an important point. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, and I mean,
3: honestly, I mean, some of this stuff gets down to, I mean, just our, our basic worldview or our, our paradigm. I mean, um, I'm, I'm someone that believes in divine providence, and I believe that uh, in, in the providence of, of God, it just happened to be that now was the time where, where everything lined up to make it happen now. I mean, there's a bunch of a bunch of different elements here that were different this time than in the past um, that just are, are purely timing. Uh, it's not as though the people that tried before maybe didn't have the best interest of in the industry. Uh, I, I wasn't there in all those times. I, I did have some involvement in one of those attempts. Uh, but I think that both ICRC, what might be a couple of things that maybe just in the, in the providence of time that are a little bit different is that, you know, both associations, both organizations have tried to do things over the last decade that weren't in their lane. Uh, you know, RIA worked over a long period of time to develop a fire standard. We were going to be doing that with, in collaboration with ASHRAE. And, you know, that, that's building standards isn't necessarily in our DNA. Clearly, it is in the DNA of, of IACRC. Uh, on ICRC's side, they had tried to get into the kind of trade events and trade shows that, that RA does really well. And, and you know, I think both both associations, both organizations, uh, had areas where we learned over the past decade that uh, that, that you know we, we can't necessarily be effective in every single lane. I think some of the things that really changed now is there was a focus. The group that was involved with this was was very very much recognizing. And very aware of the fact that both of our organizations have made mistakes in the past. Uh, there's, there's certainly animus between different personalities in these groups, but we always came back to a couple of things that, that we're able to focus on as we look forward. Number one is, uh, we have to be thinking about not only our, our respective organizations, but also where is this industry going in the future? And, and we really always came back to the fact that we are going to solve none of our future pro, uh, problems by relitigating over and over these problems that we've had in the past because every one of these organizations is only as good as its membership and then the people of the membership have chosen to lead at that time and because we always have human beings in the mix of this sometimes human beings make mistakes and those mistakes of individuals can't define our organizations what can define us are the things that we do on behalf of our members to improve their world if we if we try to accomplish something and it doesn't benefit the fire and water restoration company down in you know Omaha, Nebraska that has seven employees, uh, they're out there trying to you know get paid for their services and be able to uh, do the operate their business in a way that isn't entirely frustrated by external forces. Then we're not doing anything that's a benefit. and And this group of people that we had right now at this time was focused on that. The second thing what really made a big difference is we know that these external forces that we face right now, and we've got some big ones, they have grown in stature, they have grown in influence, and they are affecting every day our livelihood. And the people that were involved in this situation said, you know what, we right now know that if we don't collectively get together to, again, start to speak for restorers, for our common interest, if we can't put our differences aside and start to focus on the areas where we have common interests, if we can't do that, we're not going to have an industry left to defend, period. And so that, even though, I mean, that, that 11 months of negotiation that we had were tough. I mean, there, there was some knock down, drag them out, you know, areas where we had to just back up and say, okay, this isn't working. What other creative ways could we get to the same endpoint the same goal that we all want to get to? And, and it took, uh, took people being able to say, hey, I'm willing to take these areas, I'm willing to take my bias, I'm willing to take my prejudice, move it back a bit here and look at how do we maybe solve this a little differently? How do we find something that works for everyone and get to the point that it, uh, that it will benefit the industry as a whole? And, and that really has always been my goal as I've been involved with RIA. My goal has always been, and, and the other people that I work with on the other side, you know, uh, guys like Craig Kirschmeyer and Pete Duncanson and and so forth is, Hey, we want to leave this better than we found it. If we do that, it doesn't matter who gets credit or whatever else as we go through this, we just want to leave it better in good conscience, leave it better uh, than we found it. And, and one last thing too, and and I'm sorry for the long winded answer here, but I think a lot of the elements are important here is that this in the previous attempts to to accomplish something like this uh, you know, there's been kind of these sort of, you know, memorandum of understanding agreements that, that ultimately maybe don't have a lot of enforceability. As we went through this process, we agreed we need to have a contract between both organizations. And and, and we ended up with an eight page contract that has very specific details, very specific deliverables, very specific timelines, and and, and that holds both organizations accountable to not just having platitudes. That, that we say, oh, this, this might be better for the industry, but actually to accomplishing something. And, and I think that that was also really helpful in the, in the process. But I mean, I'm just so grateful. I mean, on our eyes side, our executive um, committee, and, and then our board of directors, I mean, they were in lockstep as to what is important for our industry today. And what can we do about it. And, uh, and, and internally, you know, we didn't have a lot of battles on our board. That, those things can really torpedo these things. Uh, our board at this particular time uh, was ready to start seeing positive change for restores. And, and that's, uh, you know, a testament to the timing that we have right now.
1: You know, uh, we're getting close to halftime here. Before we go there, I want to just give Ed a chance to chime in here. Ed, uh, anything you'd like to add to what Mark just said there?
4: Well, he did an outstanding job, (laughs) excuse me, explaining it and an outstanding job uh, with the article, Our Greatest Need, which kind of served as the blueprint for this. For those of you who haven't read that article, uh, it was recently published in uh, Cleaning and Restoration magazine. And we also have some upcoming um, restoration advocacy reports, which are going to be the follow ups on that which explain what our committee is working on. So everybody can watch for those. They're going to be very widely uh, distributed. The publishers have been very nice. They haven't been uh, demanding exclusivity for those particular pieces because it's kind of a public service to the industry.
1: Uh, Thank you. Uh, All right real quick uh i got one more question mark then we've got to go to halftime you mentioned the agreement between ria and iicrc when will that become effective
3: it's already effective um it was signed uh, it, was, it was kind of a kind of a cool thing um they're at the convention ria convention in phoenix it was executed by lee king uh ria's uh president and pete Duncanson, icrc's chairman and uh live in front of i I think we had 618 uh conference attendees so something around that i don't know who all was in the room at that moment but it, it kicked off the the convention and and it's 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 completed it's executed obviously there's elements of that that um happen over time uh but uh it's it's in place right now and the agreement is
1: open for the public i mean can we get a copy of it put it in the blog
3: I don't, that's a good question. I don't believe it's public at this point. It may be public in the future. Um, I think until the deliverables have been met in that, it probably wouldn't make sense to, to put it out there as, as, as for public view. Um, I don't, it's not that anything in there I think is particularly uber confidential at this point, but I think both boards would have to approve that as well to, to put it out in the public domain.
1: That seems like the place to be. I mean, you know, and that would also, I think if you if you made it public, just from my perspective, it would put more, I don't want to say pressure, but more uh, more emphasis or more more weight behind what each group is supposed to do. If they said they were going to do it, then groups like IAQ Radio could follow up and uh, follow along and make sure it's happening. But uh, just a thought on my end. On my, Cliff, anything you'd like to add before halftime? Uh, no, but I'll take the first question after halftime. You that? got it. All right. Let's stop and thank our sponsors, and we'll be back for the second half of what's been a very interesting interview with Mark Springer and Ed Cross. IAQ Radio Platinum
2: sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com.
1: CIRI, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at siri.science.org. That's C-I-R-I science.org. All right. We're back for the second half of our interview with Mark Springer and Ed Cross. Uh, We called this show The Maturing of the Cleaning and Restoration Industry, RIA, and IICRC announce a strategic partnership. Big news in the industry. Cliff, I'm going to turn the next question over to you, please. Thanks, Joe. Actually, I need two in a row if I can. Okay. No
0: problem. Okay, Mark, under this new agreement, What's going to look different from the RIA member perspective? What are they going to see? What are they going to notice?
3: Yeah. So there's there's a couple of pretty significant pieces here. Uh, number one is, and I'll, I'll just kind of go through. There's really three kind of buckets that I'll talk about here for this. The first one is the standard, the fire standard. So uh, RIA had literally thousands, but I think we think somewhere between a uh, 15 and 25,000 hours worth of volunteer time that was used to be able to develop the fire standard there's what we call uh, fire standard 1 and fire standard 2 fs1 and fs2 uh, we were uh, on the cusp of developing and bringing that standard to the industry with ashrae of course uh, somewhere along the way icrc Uh, also filed for PINs for what would be called the S-700. That would be the the fire and smoke damage uh, standard from their side. Uh, Now that this agreement is in place, uh, we will not be working further with ASHRAE, just so everyone knows there's no bad blood between RIA and ASHRAE. Uh, Certainly, this standard is not part of something that would be in ASHRAE's typical wheelhouse. So now the standard will be brought collaboratively with Uh, IACRC to the industry. This means that mom and pop out there who have been wanting so long or any restoration company for that matter, who's been craving for so long to have a standard for fire and smoke will get it much quicker. Uh, Because with IACRC and RIA collaboratively bringing this to the market, it's going to be, it's going to give IACRC now, of course, a huge jump in being able to get this out to the industry. And it's going to get us publish quicker than we probably could have done it with ASHRAE. Uh, This standard, when people get it and it shows up, uh, they will get an ICRC standard that has an RA logo on the cover as well. So this isn't just, again, platitudes. People are going to see that there is unification in the industry and that ICRC and RA are working together. So that's kind of the first area. The second area that people are going to see things different is with their certifications. So RIA will continue to offer the prep courses, we continue to own the educational uh, programming that we have for programs like uh, the CR program, the pillar designations that I also referenced to earlier, I won't go through all those again, and then also the CMP, the certified mold professional as well, all of those uh, prep courses will stay with uh, RIA. However. Now, the exams and the certification process, the distribution of certification documents and the recertification process will all be administered by IICRC. So when someone goes to get their, uh, let's say there's WLS, that one's already been in place for a long time, instead of at the end of the course, uh, them taking the exam uh, with uh, RIA and then RIA grading that and then you know having a, a certificate sent out later, uh, ICRC will administer that exam just like you would if you went to a WRT class. You'd pay the sixty-five. Uh, dollar fee to ICRC, they would administer that exam. And then when you get the certificate, not only would you get a certificate of completion uh, from RIA, but you would also get the actual certification uh, on the same certificate that you currently get from ICRC with all the other designations that you have or certifications that you have. Uh, maybe the CR one would be at the bottom, it would say RIA-certified restore. Now, there is a, a part of this agreement that we aspire to working with uh, IACRC to be able to develop a more comprehensive career path for the industry. Right now, there's things within IACRC like the uh, master restore, master uh, cleaning technician, we see the advanced designations that we have coming in and interfacing with the programs they, ever, they already have to create a much more robust career path for, for any restorer who enters this uh, industry. Uh, so anyone who gets certifications, they'll see some differences. But again, what they're going to see is a much broader base of, of uh, knowledge and acceptance and just awareness for the RIA uh, certifications and designations that, frankly, a lot of people don't even know exist right now. Uh, The last area is advocacy, and and this is really where a lot of what Ed does comes into play uh, because, again, both organizations recognize that we need a voice, and that's why the RIAGA committee was formed. That stands for Advocacy and Government Affairs. And and we know that together we can identify these areas where we have common ground. And RIA can now go and begin to speak into these areas that, you know, some areas we're going to have to crawl before we walk, but ultimately uh, RIA and restorers need to have a voice in Washington. Uh, I think back of the time when, uh, when the, the lead-based paint rules were implemented by the EPA, arguably The restoration industry was one of the most, if not uh, the most, impacted industry uh, by those changes. And restorers had zero voice as those regulations were implemented. That's an absolute shame. That should never happen. We should not have things impact our livelihood where we have no voice. And, and we recognize that ICRC recognizes that and, and you are going to see, and it's already happening. And anyone who came to the convention in, in Phoenix saw this, there's already a lot happening as restorers start to step up and made their voice heard. Cliff. Good. Well, Cliff, I'll tell I'll
1: be, you what. I just want to mention real quick, um, ASHRAE and, and IAQA that, that, Fire Standards started out with IAQA who was a part of ASHRAE. Um so I just want to mention them and and their hard work on on helping get that together too. Um Cliff go ahead. All right. Well let, let's kind
0: of switch over to brother Ed there for a minute. <laughs> Somebody said you had a smiling face. That was one of the comments. Looking, Looking good, smiling. man. <laughs> i I'm,
4: I'm just happy to be here.
0: All right. Okay. All right. Um and what's advocacy? <laughs>
4: Well, you know, at its core, advocacy is essentially uh, public support for a particular cause. And Mark did an excellent job of uh, explaining uh, the need for that and the steps uh, RIA has started to put that in place. And I think this would be a good time uh, to mention exactly what the mission and the vision of the AGA committee is. So what we did at the outset to stay organized, to stay focused on tasks so we don't get distracted, was to develop a vision statement, which outlines our ultimate goal, where we hope to end up, and a mission statement, which is the steps that we uh, intend to take right now in order to accomplish that ultimate goal. The vision statement of the AGA is that it seeks to unite The restoration industry and become the leading voice advocating for the best interests of restoration contractors but in the spirit of a fair and equitable claims resolution process and that last part is important because the function of the AGA is not just to put more money into the pockets of contractors just so we can charge more The fact of the matter is these problems affect insurers, they affect insureds, they affect the economy, and um, there's a downward spiral. If the best and brightest restoration contractors are leaving certain markets, not wanting to be involved in uh, certain vendor programs, there's a lot of different problems where the, the consumer can actually suffer because of that. So the mission statement of the AGA, which is the the steps we have implemented right now to accomplish our vision, is that it, it will develop and implement specific strategies to help create and maintain a fair and level playing field, both financially and legally for restoration contractors by advocating for their interests, but while working collaboratively with stakeholders involved in the restoration process. We are not here to wage war on Xactimate or um, third-party uh, consultants or TPAs, but we have some serious problems with each of those groups that have to be addressed, and we will find some common ground and get some of these problems resolved for everybody's benefit.
1: Thanks. Hey, Joe. It, it sounds, sounds like uh, two of your Areas of focus will be the the TPA issue, maybe Xactimate. Are there other areas of focus you'd like to mention?
4: Well, yeah, there's there's a lot of different things we're going to be looking at. And at the outset, I want to mention that right now we are in the information uh, collection phase of this. And I hope that everybody who's listening today will think about what their uh, biggest challenges are, the points where they think uh, the contractor doesn't get a fair shake, because we're collecting and prioritizing all those ideas. Please share those with me. Send me an email to edcross at edcross.com. We're collecting that, the committee's gonna meet, and we're gonna do a triage. We're gonna figure out, okay, as a committee, what are we going to look at first? And, uh, you know, really what are the priorities? So, uh, as a long-term goal, we hope this will ultimately lead to Uh, the engagement of lobbyists so we actually have humans who are going to show up at legislatures and speak on behalf of restoration contractors Uh, but we also um, are going to have one or more advocates that that go out once the, the committee has collected and prioritized the ideas decided what the positions are uh and we're going to be issuing actual position statements so a restorer out in the field can say hey this is the official position of our our industry this is what the association has decided whether it's a standard of care or not is another subject but this is going to give some important talking points to these restorers because the problem is a lot of them particularly in the smaller companies They just don't have the information available to defend themselves when they're getting overpowered by a building consultant or an adjuster or a TPA or something like that. So there's going to be position papers. We are hopefully going to have uh, lobbyists out there arguing for better legislation on our behalf and actually have uh, an industry advocate that goes out and, and delivers these decisions and positions that the committee has come up with.
1: Ed, and got to, go ahead,
0: Ed who is on the committee.
4: We have an amazing group of uh, people on the committee, and I, I'm really excited about this committee because of the breadth of their experience. It's absolutely unparalleled. And the great thing about it is each of these people um, brings some very unique characteristics and, uh, and qualities to the table. And a lot of them have not been super active uh, with the RIA. And that's part of our agenda to bring in some, uh, some fresh voices. So uh, we have Todd Benson on the committee. And Todd Benson uh, operates the biggest office of the biggest restoration company in the world. But a lot of the listeners may not know him. Todd has been in the business for his whole adult life, multiple decades. Uh, He has a company called Oakwood Construction, which is in Orange County, California, which was acquired a bunch of years ago by Belfort and is the number one top-producing Belfort office across the country. Another unique thing, in addition to being such a top performer is that Todd Benson is also a licensed attorney, so he has uh, he has a, a absolutely uh, unique perspective that he can bring. We have uh, Stephen Anderson of Anderson Group International on our committee. He has a, a bachelor's of science degree in uh, business administration. He has lots of different certifications: ASD, WRT, AMRT. He's the president of Anderson Group International, which is a phenomenally successful premier disaster recovery business with offices in three different states. He's a former DKI member. And what really amazes me about Stephen, unlike anybody I've known in over 30 plus years in the construction business, he holds contractor's licenses in 34 different states. Hmm. Um, also on our committee is, uh, is Will Aiken. Uh, Will is unique. Uh, to our committee because he's a former catastrophe adjuster. After that, he was a multi-line adjuster for Crawford and Company. And for many years now, he has owned McKenzie Taylor Construction as well as a service master franchise uh, up in Oregon. and. Uh, He remains very active with Crawford, and right now he's on two of its committees. He's won eight Golden Hammer Awards from Contractor Connection, and in 2015 was named Best Contractor in the Mountain States by Contractor Connection. Uh, We have Dave Robbins on our committee, and I'm so thankful that he has agreed to uh, join. He's the owner and vice president of SRP Contractors, which is a large-scale restoration firm operating throughout the southeast, forgive me, He has offices in Memphis, Nashville, and Little Rock. He's on the RIA board. He's a very powerful voice in the industry and did a phenomenal job giving a very moving presentation uh, in Phoenix. We have uh, Tom Peter on the committee. Um, He's an owner of insurance restoration specialists in East Brunswick, New Jersey. He is a current DKI member. He has a degree in chemical technology. He has a bachelor's degree in environmental science. He has a master's degree in environmental and occupational health science. And one of the unique things Tom brings is he is a restorer who is also a certified industrial hygienist. We have Jeff Gross, who is uh, a CR. He's a senior vice president of Maxon's Restoration in the New York metro area. He directs large-scale operations. He was very involved in some big projects after uh, 9-11. Um, He's responsible for estimating standards, as well as solving complex damage-related issues on on large-scale projects. He's a nationally recognized expert, and he just won the Golden Quill Award, which was presented to him in Phoenix for an outstanding article that he wrote about estimating. We have uh, Katie Smith of PHC Restoration from Raleigh, North Carolina. She's a certified restorer. She's an IA board member. She has a lot of unique qualities, one that's very interesting. When she became a CR, she joined an elite group of only 11 active female CRs in the world. She's very well connected with the new generation of restorers. She's, uh, she represents the youth on our committee. And she also has a bachelor's degree in mass communication and media studies. She's very adept at social media, marketing, and she's going to do a very good job of helping to spread the word and help us connect with the the younger generation. Last but not least, we have Charles Cassani. He's our senior member. He's kind of the grand poobah, the big uh, consultant with so many decades of great experience. Uh, he owned a systematictic franchise for decades he 's now an analytical specialist for restoration management company, which is one of the largest restoration companies uh, on the west coast and he provides a very important historical context and Charlie has absolutely unsurpassed technical knowledge now it's really important to point out throughout the process that Mark Springer has been incredibly generous with his time and stays very very actively uh, involved in this process he's He's watching over what we're doing, helping to make sure uh, we stay on task, and providing a lot of uh, great input. So I hope everyone will see this is not the same people with the same old tired ideas. This is a new, fresh approach, and I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be very effective. Thank you.
1: Ed, before we go to the roundup, a quick text question from a listener on uh, will you be looking at assignment of benefits as a part of your advocacy and, and do you have any thoughts on um, what just happened in Florida where they I guess they're no longer going to be able to do that
4: yeah um, assignment of benefits is something that's very near and dear to my heart and my work uh, collecting money for restores the AOB is absolutely vital you know Florida is really really unique uh, because it had the right to collect Uh, Attorney's fees when a contractor was enforcing an assignment of benefits directly uh, against uh, an insurance company and it led to thousands of lawsuits. That's not really the situation in other states. We need to pay attention to what happened there. Uh, There is Uh, some negative momentum that happened there and um, that is something that's very important we want to learn from what happened in Florida, we want to try to take the lessons from that, the good parts use it for benefits uh, in other states and try to keep that, that negative momentum contained as much as possible
1: I'm glad I asked that, okay let's go to the roundup John Hey, Pete, I gotta bring you in here. Uh, I know you've been listening carefully, and I know you were uh, very—you were instrumental in helping pull this show together. And Cliff and I appreciate that. I just wanted to ask if you have any thoughts, comments, or questions for our guests.
5: Okay. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, great job, Mark and Ed. Of course, Ed, you'll—you'll you'll have a chance, you know, uh, in the next month or so to really give the full full on deal with the AGA as, as that thing gets rolling after, uh, the counterparts, I, Sarah C weigh in, I'm looking forward, looking forward to that show. Um, I think that, uh, I've been, I've been watching, uh, the, the number count of the live callers, Joe, and the highest count I saw throughout the show was 40. So I don't know where that weighs in with the all time record. Uh, of iqa radio but you said you were going to check and find out how close we came where if we actually have the slot as the most live call in uh, listeners for the show i also uh sent out the link there while ed was talking anyone that's uh, on that's already signed in by the zoom and not on a phone you'll see the link i posted there to everyone which uh is the direct landing page to the aga also list the whole committee as ed was kind of naming them all off and really did an excellent job of everybody's role. Matter of fact, three or four of those folks are listening in on the, on the call too. Um, you know, I don't really have much to add. I, I just think that, uh, you know, personally speaking and we put that little quote up, up on the website. I'm so happy to see the industry come together and put a lot of the political BS behind it. You know, like Mark said, divine providence or not, you know, maybe it was just the right people, the right time. And it all came together. Um, I think, uh, you know, the counterparts to Lee and Mark, you know, the, uh, uh, Pete Duncanson and Craig Kirshenmayer, and Mark recognized them, I think, um, you know, worked hard with, with, the, with the IICRC people to make this thing happen. And I, I think the future is bright. Um, I love the idea of, uh, you know, a lot of the next generation stepping up and getting involved in all the activities, uh, you know, that, that both organizations have to, you know, assume the next leadership role. Uh, Next year's convention, I don't know if this was mentioned, but next year's REA convention in April, the dates have been set in New Orleans, going to be co-located with DKI, who's really the most long-term and longest, you know, large member base of our association. And um, I think I heard that the IICRC is also going to be scheduling their, uh, you know, their uh, biannual meetings there. So I think it's going to be really a big show, great a great convention, and leading up to 20, 2021, of course, which will be our 75th Diamond Anniversary. So, um, you know, I'm just keep my fingers crossed. That's all going to come together, and we're just going to be one big snowball rolling down a hill It's going to create an avalanche in a really good way. And, um, uh, you know, that's really it. Um, I I hope that the listeners will start to kind of – get on the storyline and follow the four parts. Because, you know, when we kind of plan the show, we want to start with the nuts and bolts that Mark did and uh, whet the appetite for the AGA. And then, of course, the IICRC yeah. folks will weigh in with their unique perspective. And then Ed will have his day in, in, in the sunshine, hopefully just the first of many. And then hopefully uh, after Labor Day sometime, once the summer's over and back to school and back to work, that the two signatories, uh, Lee King and Pete Duncanson, can do a special show to to give everybody an update on how things are going. I know there's some stuff planned in the fall uh, to do some programs at the Global Resource Center. And, uh, you know, I think the momentum will start to build. And uh, I think the industry in particular is really, really anxious to see where the, you know, when the fire standard is going to kind of hit, uh, you know, be out there and be available. And I think that that's going to be on a really fast track now. I think that's all great news. So, uh, you know, um, good luck to everybody. And, you know, old dogs like me and Cliff will be there when you need us.
1: Well, and I know you and Cliff both have advocated for, unification of the uh, restoration side of the industry. And um, I think this is wonderful news. I hope everything continues along this path. And Cliff, I want to make sure you get a chance to weigh in here. Any thoughts or final questions for our guests?
0: Well, the thing is, uh, they got an old dog on their committee, Charlie Kasani. He'll look out.
4: <laughs> Can I jump in? One last very important point. Absolutely. We really, really hope that everyone will log on to the RIA website. It's restorationindustry.org. When you go on to restorationindustry.org, you'll see a menu called resources. If you open that menu, you will see a, a page there for the Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee, and it gives you an opportunity to explain how you can get involved if you can just donate a little bit of time or uh, invest a little bit of money it's all laid out there everybody's got some ideas or maybe you could help fundraising please that's the place to go on the ria website
1: hey
5: hey, ed so ed that that was the link which i just put into the chat log here for everyone who's on here but cliff will will include that link in the blog which is going to go out to the whole iqa database and RAA of course will will pick up something that too. So that that me- yeah, there he is, they put it on the screen. That that message will will be widely broadcasted and available to really the whole audience of the IAQA, RAA, and hopefully, you know, the whatever the, the channels that the IICRC has to distribute that to would really be be greatly appreciated.
4: For this to succeed, we have to get a lot of people involved because consider the unequal bargaining power we have now and the tremendous size of the uh, other parties, the third parties who are creating these incredible challenges for the industry.
1: Before we go, Mark, any final thoughts, final comments?
3: No, I just, I uh, really appreciate you guys giving us the venue to talk about this. So thank you for that. Um, you know, there, there has been, we already kind of alluded to this, but you know, no question. And I can't note the guys on the ISCRC side, but no question without guys like Rusty Amarante, uh Frank Heaton, Scott Stamper, uh, Chuck Feo and before, uh, and Chuck's of course, part of the group now, but without those guys, uh, you know, softening the hill there throughout, throughout time. We, we never would have been here. So, uh, certainly, uh, everyone, there's a lot of people, tons of people that, uh, had a role in this that, that don't get recognized, but it's, it's, uh, a lot of people doing what, again, they feel they can do to, to leave this better than we found it.
5: Hey Mark, I'm going to save your butt in this one. Don't forget Sam Bergman. You left him off the line. Oh, I
3: did leave out Sam Bergman. Yes, thank you. I owe you now, Pete. <laughs> yeah, Bergman, Sam Bergman. I knew I'd leave. See, I tell you, I know I'd leave someone out. And Sam well, was instrumental got, in uh, one you of last the so. last ones. Got the watch. You definitely saved you. You you did save save my skin from ending up with like one of those bears that uh, you saw in the picture. You
5: would have got a text from him like as soon as the show was over if he heard. <laughs>
3: Well done. That was totally unintentional.
4: I know.
1: There we go. Final thoughts from you, Ed.
4: I just want to thank you guys. I want to thank the members of the committee and uh, Joe and um, Cliff. You always do such a great job. And Pete, you provide so much uh, indispensable information to us. And uh, thank you for everybody who showed up in Phoenix. And thank you to those of you who are going to get on the RIA website now and uh, explain how you can uh, participate in this. We are funding a movement here, uh, but we have to band together.
1: Well said. Ed Cross, Mark Springer, thank you, gentlemen. Great job today. Excellent show. My co-host, the Z-man, Cliff Zlotnick. At the controls, John, you got to have faith. The restoration industry's global watchdog, Pete Consigli. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to all of you and, of course, to our growing group of loyal listeners. We'll be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus.
4: Thank you.
0: For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Rio saying thanks for listening.